Paul says, in effect, I'm not the only one left. There are Jewish people getting to be saved. There is a remnant. So there is the entire nation of Israel, everyone with Jewish heritage, everyone with a Jewish lineage that have some of these covenant promises given to them. And then there is the remnant chosen by the grace of God who experienced these things salvifically, who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have understood the word of God, but not because they were smart, but because God in his grace opened their eyes the same way it is with each and every one of us. Let me pause here and make a few comments for reflection about the path to humility. When you think of the doctrines of grace, the doctrines of God's salvation, which include God electing a people to salvation from before the foundations of the earth. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 23. And other places as well. Does the grace of God make you humble? You see, we're not supposed to be there and be like, yeah, I'm one of the elect. We're supposed to say, whoa, because I know exactly where I would be if God had not saved me. I didn't come to God with something to offer to him. He reached down and opened my eyes. He maybe brought someone into your life that shared the gospel with you. A friend, a family member, a complete stranger, a preacher. And you heard the word of God and God used the Holy Spirit in your life. So you began to see and understand these things and you believed in him. But God did the work. God took the initiative. God reached out and grabbed you and saved you. Sometimes when we come to an understanding of the grace of God, not only do we get excited, which we should, not only do we get a zeal and a passion about it, which we should, sometimes that zeal can lead to pride. It can lead to sort of a, a cage stage where you, you got to tell this to everybody. And, and if they don't follow you in every point of doctrine, you're like, well, you're just wrong. And it doesn't make us humble. It doesn't make us say, I was a sinner. And look how lost I was. I mean, look how lost we were. We were dead in our sins. And what dead person brings themselves back to life. But God, who is rich in mercy, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God raised us up to life in Christ Jesus. And so you reached out and you believed. Because God drew you. John 6, uh, particularly verse uh, 44, I believe it is. Consider, for example, Peter. Peter, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. This is after Peter makes his confession of faith. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but you, my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Two things there. 
Jesus says to Peter, right after Peter makes the confession of faith, you're blessed. Why? Because God revealed this to you. The Father revealed this to you. Who gets the credit there? When, when Jesus says, Peter, you're blessed. Is this a moment for Peter to be like, well, well of course I am, Jesus. I'm the rock. I'm the strong one. I would never deny you. You're blessed because of a gift that the Father worked in you. Meaning, you're not blessed because you're special. You're blessed because God just decided to do something in you. You, what is happening in your life is a blessing upon you, but it comes from God. So praise God. Rejoice in God. Glorify God. And then notice he says of the church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I bring this up to say this. That wherever there is a true church, we should rejoice. The measure of a true church is not, are they Faith Bible Fellowship Church? The measure of a true church is not, are they a Bible Fellowship Church? The measure of a true church is, do they follow the Word of God? Is there the ministry of the Word? Is there preaching and teaching? Are they standing faithfully on the confession of the faith? And sometimes, inside the church, particularly with some of our understandings and some of our doctrinal statements, that we rightly say, look, this is what we think the Word of God believes. We need to be careful that we don't say, and we're the only ones you don't see it my way exactly, well, maybe you're not saved. God is working in His grace and this idea of election should make us humble. It doesn't make us better. It doesn't make our church better than other churches. I do think there's strengths in our church. I'm not minimizing that. But what I'm saying is be thankful for the grace of God and what He's worked in us. If you have any understanding of the Word of God, any understanding of the Scriptures, give praise to God for that. Because that is not natural. That comes through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. So, we are not the only true church still preaching the Word of God. Yes, there are a lot of false churches out there, but there are a lot of good uh, evangelical churches. And I would say this, I myself, or you yourself, am not the great hope the last great hope for the church. You imagine being in Elijah's shoes. I'm the only one. Sometimes people, we act that way in church. Well, if I wasn't here, this church would be miserable. It would be a mess. God needs me. My goodness, he's chosen me before the foundations of the world. It's not the attitude that we're to have. It's not the attitude that Paul has. It's not the attitude that Elijah learned to have. The grace of God in election should drive us deeper and deeper into humility. And sadly, it often doesn't. Some of us that love to study the Word of God, and and I've been there, and you, you start to understand these things, and you start to put Scripture together and let Scripture interpret Scripture, and suddenly we think we have some sort of knowledge that other people don't have. And instead of making us humble, it makes us puffed up. Don't let your knowledge of Scripture puff you up. Don't let your knowledge of doctrine and understanding of it puff you up. 
Let your understanding of grace be not only in your mind, but in your heart. That it drives you to bend your knee and to be a humble servant, both to God and to man. Second, this morning, be humble because God's saving work in election is by grace. And we'll fully admit that Paul gets a little difficult with us here. He says, you know, there is a remnant that is getting saved and they were chosen by grace. Romans 11:5. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Paul has said earlier in chapter nine, if you want to flip back to verses 27, 28 and 29, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. And the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. Paul is saying there are multitudes of people that are that are Jewish by their physical heritage and their lineage. But there is a remnant that is being saved by grace. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Again, Romans 9, 6 and 7. It is not as if the word of God has failed for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, meaning not all who are the physical lineage partake of the spiritual promises and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. And this is the mystery of God in election, Romans 9:11, that though they were not yet born, talking about Jacob and Esau, both sons of Isaac, although they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Romans 9:15 and 16, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I can have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God's election choosing from before the foundations of the world depends upon God. It is an act of mercy. It is an act of grace. It is an act of the goodness of God. If God had done nothing We would all continue and remain in our sins. And guess what? We would enjoy it. We would delight in it. We would like rebelling against God. We would not be seeking his face. God's act of election is by his grace. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. If election is based upon, first, election is based on the grace of God. I keep repeating myself with that. It is a, a just God in his goodness dispensing something that we don't deserve. He gives us the grace and it is based upon his will. Second, election is not on the basis of works, meaning this. God does not choose a people to salvation based on something that they have done or something that they will do. 
God doesn't look down the quarters of time and say, well, I see that person will be really useful to have in the church. I see that person will respond and they will be a good person. And on that basis, I will do something in them. If he did it based on something in us, it would be a work. We would have to try to do something to accomplish it, to to live up to God and what he's given us. It would not be a free gift of grace. There is not a condition that is first met in us and then God chooses. God does not look to us to decide to choose. Third, if God based his choice on us or some quality in us, then it would not be grace and it would not be a gift. Again, Romans 9, 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. First John chapter one, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we're not minimizing faith for a second. We need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does it say in verse 13? Who were born not of blood, nor on the will of flesh, nor on the will of man, but of God. God did the work in you. God called you in the preaching of the word. God spoke to your heart and opened your eyes to see the gospel. And yes, of course, when you preach the gospel, we invite you to believe in Jesus Christ. But what you find when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is God is the one who brought you to that. In other words, who gets all the credit? Who does all the work in accomplishing salvation? Did you die on the cross? Did you do something making you worthy of Christ dying on the cross for you? God does all the work. And God seeks out you so that you can seek him. It's not the reverse. It's not that we seek God and then he seeks us. God seeks out you. And then we seek him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Uh, Our own doctrinal statement, I really appreciate how we word it. Election is a free act of a sovereign God in which from eternity, for reasons known only to himself, he chooses a people unto salvation. Why does God do what he does? I don't know. Why does God choose a people to salvation? Why, even in this day of Paul, when there's this remnant, some are chosen by grace? I don't know. But God does what is right. And God does what is good. And the point to remember is if that God had done nothing, no one, would get saved. Do you want to know what fair would be? Because we all start to say, well, this doesn't sound very fair. And I've said that to myself at times. What would be fair is for God to leave us in our sins, to leave us dead, to leave us getting what we want. That should make us humble. The response to the doctrine of election, again, is humility. I have nothing that I contribute, nothing that God is causing God to find me special. 
It's only by the grace of God. As Paul says in a different context, he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? When you think about salvation, who do you boast in? Just set aside the doctrine of election for a minute. Just salvation in general. Who do you boast in? You better boast in God. You better boast in Jesus. And there's a joy in that. Believe me, I don't want to be trying to accomplish my salvation. You know how much stuff I've messed up in my life? I, I say the wrong thing to my wife sometimes to get myself in trouble. We all do that, right? We, we trip over our words. Oh, I didn't mean that. And my wife is gracious and loving and forgiving. But you don't want to be dependent upon yourself. You want a God who is more powerful than you and more merciful and lavishes that mercy and reaches down. And, and we don't often think about how bad we are in our sins, how far we are from God, how rebellious we are against him. It's not as if we're sitting down there with a few minor things that we've done bad. We are in utter rebellion against a perfect, holy God. And God who loves us reaches down and saves a people unto himself. Why? I don't know. Other than God is merciful. And God is gracious. And nobody deserves that grace. Nobody is worthy of it. And nobody is special. And then God gives them grace. God in his goodness does things according to the mystery of his will. Third, this morning, be humble because God could have hardened my heart. And so Paul is going on here and he says in verse seven, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. The elect within Israel have obtained salvation. And remember what Paul is saying about how they were seeking it. Over in verse uh, 31 and 32 of chapter 9, he says, But that Israel who pursued a law would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. And as if it were based on works, they would have stumbled over the stumbling stone. So they were, in a sense, seeking, but they weren't seeking the true God. They were seeking things in a way made up by themselves, taking the law of God and perverting it. You could go to a synagogue and you could talk and, oh, well, of course I'm trying to know God. But they weren't willing to know God on God's own terms, how God revealed himself. They weren't bending the knee and submitting and receiving it by faith. They were seeking it through the law. Seeking to establish themselves, seeking to become something through their obedience. And of course, it did lead to pride. As a whole, Israel was pursuing righteousness and salvation, but not in the way that God had ordained. They weren't looking for Jesus. However, there is a remnant that has received it, Paul is saying, and it's based on God's purpose of election. And then God, or Paul says this, God says this in his word. 
What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. The rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them to a stupor, a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This quotes Isaiah 29 verses 9 and 10, where God's people were rebelling. And then it says the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of stupor, a spirit of deep sleep. He also says the verse before, astonish yourself and be amazed, blind yourselves and be blind. The point is here, Israel was rejecting God. And so he handed them over to a spirit of blindness. Deuteronomy 29, verse four, the other part is quoted to this day. The Lord has given you a heart to to yeah, has given you a heart to understand has to this day. The Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see and to hear. There is both an active and a passive work of God here. God is described here as hardening. God is described here as doing this work and not giving them a heart to understand. But in the active, he is hardening in the passive. He is not giving them something. Israel throughout her days was often hard in and of herself. The sinner who is dead in their sins, our hearts in and of themselves are hardened against God. We don't want God. Romans three. No one seeks after God. We don't delight in the ways of God. We delight in sin and rebellion, walking in wickedness. And there are often times where God hands us over. He allows us to get those things that we want. He describes this in in Romans chapter one. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God and give thanks to him. But their futile, they became futile in their thinkings and their foolish hearts were darkened. Two verses later, Romans 124, therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. So there are times when God gives us over and lets us get what we want. There are times where he hardens people's hearts and he does that without violating their own will. He's not twisting them to do something they don't want. It's in concert with what they want. Paul then also quotes the words of David in Isaiah or excuse me, in Psalm 69, where David is actually praying that his enemies would be handed over to this. But the scriptures do say in Romans 918, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whoever he wills. Has not the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and the other for dishonorable use? And what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power known, has endured with much patience the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy which God has prepared beforehand? The mystery of God in election. First, let's this morning acknowledge that this is a hard doctrine sometimes. This is tough to think about. 
And, and you know me well enough. I didn't just pick this out this Sunday because I really wanted to just nail you over the head with it. We're going through Romans, and my commitment to you is not to dodge the hard passages of Scripture, but to try to faithfully handle them. But let us say this as well. Scripture everywhere teaches us that God does what he wants. He does what's according to his will. But he is always just. He is always fair. And he is always good. Well, I shouldn't say he's always fair because mercy isn't fair. Mercy is a gift. But I trust you understand what I'm saying. God isn't vindictive. God isn't evil and trying to get back at people. God's judgments are just. The second question that we need to ask is why did is not why does God not save this person or that person? We don't know who God is or isn't going to save. We just share the word of God and invite people to believe. And we pray for people because we know God is good and he will save people. The question is why does God save me? Like me, I am wicked. And some of you are going, oh, pastor, you're not that bad. No, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. If God had left us to our own devices, if God had left us to get what we wanted, do you know how bad we would be? Even in this day and age, we we sometimes forget that that even in the wickedness we see, God is restraining evil. How bad would it be if God didn't restrain evil? And how bad would it be if God didn't save anyone? And he doesn't have to do that. He could be completely just and just bring down wrath and judge me and judge you. Why does God do it? Why does He show grace? Why does He forgive me? I don't know. But that's God. He lavishes mercy. And He lavishes, and, and when you think about Him lavishing it, think of the depths of your sin and how much He lavishes it upon that. Not just the breadth of sin in the world. But of your sin and its depth. If God had done nothing, if God had left you to your own devices, where would you be? More than that, God could have raised you up to be a Pharaoh, a Nebuchadnezzar, someone that's prideful and in rebellion. Why didn't God allow you to do that? We don't know. But God was gracious for us. And that doesn't make us better. That should make us humble. You and I, we need to say, I'm a sinner. God saved me. Why does God do these things? There's a mystery to his will. There's a part of election that we just have to say. He does these things for reasons known only to himself. Why does he put this in scripture? Why does he tell us these things but not tell us everything? I don't know why God doesn't tell us everything, but but there's a reason to it. And yet I want you to see something here. Paul loves his Jewish brothers and sisters and wants them to come to Christ. Paul is evangelistic to, to them. Paul 
prays for them. But he understands the grace of God. And he has that statement that if God had not saved us an offspring, we would be as Sodom and Gomorrah. If God hadn't done anything, everyone would be in hell. And God in his grace chooses to save a people out of that. And it shows the riches of his glory against the backdrop of his holiness. That he is merciful, but he also judges sin. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us from your word. Certainly, Lord, these truths are difficult and we need to saturate ourselves in these scriptures and just soak in them and, and take them in and think about them and turn them over in our minds. Let us do that, Lord, with humble hearts, with a willing spirit that says we will follow where the Lord leads. Lord, let us stick to the word of God. Let us stick to the things that scripture has written. Let us not speculate where scripture has not given us answers. But in all these things, may we be followers of your word. May we be patient with one another. As we, some I'm sure, are wrestling with these issues, trying to understand them, trying to, 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 to worship you better in light of these things. Let us be gentle, compassionate. And most of all, Lord, as we think about election, let us not be prideful and think we're somehow better because we deserve none of this. Help us to be humble. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.